Praise the Lord, everybody. It's good to be in the house of the Lord today. I believe God has great things in store for this church. He has great things planned for this church. We just need to get behind the plan. We, as people, have choices. We have choices in our lives. Anyone who says, I didn't have a choice, is wrong. I couldn't help it, was wrong. The Bible says, with every temptation, he makes a way of escape. With every temptation, there is a way of escape. He has said that if you submit yourself, therefore, to God and resist the devil, then he will flee from you. We are not stuck in the same place. We are not stuck on the same path. We don't have to do what we do every day. That's why one songwriter put it this way. I choose to be a Christian. I choose to live like him. I choose this life. I am not here because somebody made me do it. I'm not. The alcoholic is not where he is because the devil made him do it. Yes, I, I 100% understand psychology studies have... Uh, biological studies have all discovered that there are some people who have certain genes that make them more likely to end up becoming an alcoholic. There are certain psychological conditions that make some people more likely to commit suicide than others. There are certain things that make you more likely to live a certain type of life than other people. However, other studies have also discovered there, there are certain genes in the human body that can be transformed by the way that you live your life. Your brain, your genes, and your children's genes after you can be transformed if you will simply begin to live a different way. You may have genes inside of you that make you more likely to become a drug addict, more likely to become an alcoholic, more likely to live a certain kind of life, more predisposed to violence than other people. However, there is a certain thing that you can do, and that is make a choice to change. Because if you will make a choice to change, your very genes begin to transform because they realize, oh, well, there's no point in trying. There's no point in recreating this piece of DNA because we haven't used it. There's no point in using this addiction gene because we have never had a reason to use this addiction gene, and that gene will die. And then, when you have a child, your child will not have that gene. Or to put it a lot more simply and a lot less complicated, John chapter 3 says, except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Therefore I say, we have a choice for the life that we live. We have a choice for the life that we live. 
That has something to do with what I'm going to say today, but that's not the message. So if you will, let's turn to the book of Matthew. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, the book of Matthew, chapter number 16 and verse number 13. Book of Matthew, chapter number 16 and verse number 13 says, When Jesus came into the coasts of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Jesus wants to know what people think about him. And, he sa and the people say, Well, a lot of people have no idea who you are. Because they think that you are a different guy. You, they think you're a ghost. They think you're something that uh, some resurrected again prophet of old. Uh, they, they think you're somebody else. And all of these people are dead. Some of them longer dead than others. But all of these people have gone on and they are no longer with these people. And Jesus said, okay, so that's all the wrong opinions. But who do you say that I am? All the wrong opinions have been thrown out there. But there is only one truth. There is only one way. There is only one life. And that life is me. I've told you before. And then he said, so who do you say that I am? What is the correct opinion? And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter. Because when you get him right, he'll get you right. You see, you say the correct thing about him when you realize the truth about who he is, the truth that can change the world. He'll give you the truth that can change your world. Mm, okay. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter. Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever thou bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I don't have this on the screen, but if you would, I'm going to turn to Jude chapter 1. If you are trying to find Jude chapter 2, you have gone too far. Because Jude chapter 2 is Revelation chapter 1. Jude has one chapter. So it, it shouldn't be hard to find it if you can find Jude. <laughs> it's the chapter before Revelation. Jude chapter 1, I'm going to start reading in verse number 20. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and of some having compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for all that you've done and all that you are yet to do.
Amen. Praise the Lord. Um, this message started with a thought. Uh, I, I, has anyone ever heard of a man named C.T. Studd or Charles Studd? I figured it would probably be only about one or two people. He's not a super famous man outside of immediately Christian circles. But Charles C. Uh, Charles T. Studd lived a long time ago in a country far away. He lived in Britain. Uh, he was born in the 1860s, around the same time that here in America we were busy fighting a war amongst ourselves. Charles T. Studd was born. Uh, in his teenage years, his father had been converted to Christianity uh, through uh, the work of Moody, D.L. Moody, a revival preacher of those days. And he, he was keeping, his father had been rooming a preacher in the house, and this preacher uh, got to work in the art of soul winning and won the two teenage boys in the home, Charles and his brother, uh, to Christianity. And then, as Charles grew up, he began to backslide a little bit, and he was having a successful sports career in college. He was playing a sport that I know everything I know about I learned from the biography of Charles T. Studd. Uh, that sport was cricket, which uh, any, who here knows anything about cricket? That's what I figured. Somewhat similar to baseball, but it, an incredibly popular sport in England. Uh, he was a college sports player, which I think we know a few things about college sports players around here. He was a college sports guy, and he was one of the best in the business. But while he was off in college, about half backslid and not really paying much attention to the work of God, uh, his brother got sick in the 1880s. And Charles began to think this question, what is all this fame and flattery worth when a man comes to face eternity? He asked himself the question, what if the preacher's right and I'm wrong? What if the preacher's right and I'm wrong? He said that he had been in an unhappy, backslidden state. As a result of this experience, he said, I know that cricket would not last, and honor would not last, and nothing in this world would last, but it was worthwhile living for the world to come. Amen. So he gives up his sporting career, goes overseas, and becomes a missionary to China. And later on, after devoting his entire life to the work of missions in China, Stud is quoted as saying, Some wish to live without sound of a church or a chapel bell, but I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Some want to be good church folks. Some want to be church people. But you know what? Me, I would rather live a life that is completely dedicated and sold out to God, not living safe, not living comfortable, but realizing that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Amen. 
It is these words that inspired what I'm bringing to you today. In prayer Friday morning, after we'd been busy opening Christmas stockings, my mind was taken to the chaos and destruction about just we're only two weeks removed from. The destruction that, re that wrecked across, uh, that, that wreaked havoc across four different states. The, the chaos that happened, and I, two of my regular podcasts I listened to today, uh, both posted about it within the last week, and they're far removed from Dawson Springs. Preachers in Ohio, preachers in Missouri, all talking about what's going on right here, right now. We've received phone calls from missionaries. We've received phone calls from all over the place saying, what's going on with you down there? Are you okay? There was a church that was down in, I believe, Texas or Tennessee, somewhere, somewhere south of here that was unaffected. And the first thing they did, they said, we just hit Google. And the first thing we saw was this place called Star Bethlehem giving away stuff. What can we do to help? Destruction, chaos wrought by recent tornadoes. The church buildings in both Dawson Springs and Mayfield spared from destruction. And the places that I know well, Star Bethlehem and Landmark, are both within perfect view of trees uprooted, destroy homes in what some might call hell on earth. One woman was talking to my mother, and she was not speaking in spiritual terms. She said, it's almost like there was a force field surrounding some places. And I think she's right. I believe there was, and it's called the work of the Holy Ghost. We were sitting there on... We were sitting there on Christmas Eve in my uh, my papa's kitchen, and, and and it was they were talking to who was talking to Brad? Who said it? I think it was Aunt Kim was talking to Brad to to Pastor Brad Giffen was telling him said Hey, I, all I could think about when I was thinking about what's going on with you right here and right now was that I saw Bishop White with his hands on the wall of Star Bethlehem Church, and it was like in that moment in what he had been praying that last night of revival, it was as if those hands of prayer was what held that building there. It's called the work of the Holy Ghost. So how did these places respond to the protection of God that was offered? Was it to continue living merely within the sound of church and chapel bells? Was it merely to continue to have good church? All right, we're safe, we're protected. Let's have church. Amen. No, they fulfilled the, the statement that, brother, that our missionary, Mr. Studd, had said. They are running rescue shops within a yard of hell. Uh, nearly every church that I've seen that was within range to do it, whether apostolic or not, has had that response. No, we're not just going to have good church. No, we're not going to live life as normal. We're going to respond Amen. to the chaos that we are within a yard of. And my trip that night that we took through the environment that had been altered by the storm on the very night that the attack was put out, an interesting thing happened when it came to these church buildings. It looked like near perfect normalcy as we drove towards them. As perfect as it could be with the power off and the lightning flashing, but it was pretty well perfect in the next day, when the sun was shining, all looked normal on those trips toward the building. But when you pass those buildings, the carnage comes to view. Yeah. Next door to Landmark Church, there's a Catholic church missing a portion of the wall and the roof. 
Across the road, there are apartment buildings that are just gone. The clinic across the road from there had no more roof, and now it's just gone. Next door, and, and when you drive that racetrack road to Star Bethlehem, there's no damage at all until you pass the building. Less than a mile later, trees are on top of homes, homes are destroyed, and one is nothing more than rubble in a foundation. It's as if you could call those apostolic churches the last stop before chaos. And that's what I'm talking about today, the last stop before chaos. Your last stop before chaos. And this is what Jesus wants his church to be, the last stop before chaos. You are supposed to be, we are supposed to be, more than just in fleshly terms, more than just in terms of the physical, we are to be the last stop before chaos. The last stop before chaos. Uh, there is this thing in the world called a stop sign. Stop lights, stop signs, yield, all those things are there for one reason and one reason only. If you drive straight through these, chaos will ensue if you drive straight through them. We know all too well because of the events of August. What happens when someone ignores a stop sign? What happens when someone ignores a stoplight? When someone ignores what's put there to stop you, Chaos will ensue. Chaos is going to happen. And it is not safe. It is You're not going to be protected. You don't need to drive past this last stop before chaos. You see, Jesus said, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. But that was not all that he said. Because he said... Not just I am the light of the world. He just he said, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Yeah, right. he, Isaiah said, the people who dwelled in darkness have seen a great light. Right, that light was Jesus. The light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. But he said, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. He said a city set on a hill cannot be hid. He did not make the, that a conditional statement. He did not. He just said no matter what you do, you are the light of the world. No matter what you do, a city that's set on a hill cannot be hid. It's not, it, it wasn't even a metaphor. He just said it's, it's a fact. If a city's on a hill, you can't hide it. You can't disguise it. You can't put it in, you can't put it away. You can't cover it up. He said, what man having a light puts it under a bushel? Yeah. He wants it to, he sets a candle on a candlestick so that it can light the whole house. Yeah. There's a reason that we typically don't set lights on the floor. Because it works a lot better if you stick it up there on the ceiling. If you stick your lights down on the floor, they might work. But at the same time, someone can walk right on top of it and it'll suddenly put the whole room into darkness. 
A light, a city set on a hill cannot be hid. It was assumed, it was a given statement that you are supposed to be the light of the world. You are supposed to be a clear and obvious stop sign, stop light to the rest of this world. Hey, don't go past here or chaos is the next thing you're going to step into. Don't walk past that line. Don't go past that thing. We need someone who's going to stand up here and say, hey, if you go any further, you are going to hurt yourself. You're going to hurt those around you. You're going to fall into destruction, into chaos. If you don't go, you are going to be in a mess. He said in Mark 16, he said... Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. This is, the, this is the stakes of the message. The stakes of the message is this, that if you don't listen to this message, there is only hell waiting for you. The only thing you have to look forward to is the life on planet Earth. Because after planet Earth, there will be nothing more than destruction. That's why we say that the church is the last stop. It's your last stop before chaos. This is the last stop. This bus don't get off anywhere else. This bus doesn't have a secondary location. It's not purgatory. It's, it's, not, it's not nirvana. It's not anything else. You're not looking forward to a resting place. At best, you might get to sleep in the grave. But once the trumpet sounds, there is, it is, you're appointed to die once and then comes the judgment. This is as good as it gets, folks. If you don't, if you don't make your stop here, this is as good as it gets. Amen. This is as good as it gets. A world full of disease, a world full of crime, a world, world full of murder, a world, world full of hatred. As was said in the poem, in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. Hate is strong. And it marks the song of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. But the thing is that if you listen to the bells that are ringing from this place, the bells that ring from this pulpit, you'll hear. You'll hear the words. Jesus is alive. Amen. There is hope because Jesus is alive. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's the gospel. That's the hope. That's what we have to look forward to. It said because he, he said in the book of Luke when he was wrapping up that, he, he, his last words to the disciples were pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Terry in Jerusalem. Until you be endued with power from on high. He elaborated in the book of Acts. When you receive. You shall receive power. After the Holy Ghost is come upon you. You will be witnesses to me. In Jerusalem. Even unto all Judea. Even unto Samaria. And to the uttermost parts of the earth. Peter said. Acts chapter 2. 
This promise is for you. It's for your children, for all them that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. This is the stop off. This is the message. This is the message. Repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. This is your last stop before the chaos of this world. You know, it's kind of an interesting fact that for most people, a church is a church, a preacher, a Christian preacher. For most people in the, in the United States of America, most people in the Western world, their literal last stop is a church. The last spot a body is ever going to be is right in front of a pulpit, right next to the altars. They position it right there. There's where the casket lays. This is your last stop before chaos. It's the altar. And if you won't pass this altar, if you won't listen to the message, your next step is hell. Amen. It's the last stop before chaos. This church, not the building. I'm not talking about the building. But the people need to be the thing that stands between the efforts of hell and the people of this city. Amen. You see, this is your last stop before chaos. What, what do I mean chaos? Sure, absolutely hell. Hell is a horrible place and no one wants to be there. And that is absolutely one of the main things that we are stopping you from. But there is things in this world, there are things on this planet that is stop that you need to realize this is your last stop. This is your last chance. This is your only chance between here and hell. This is the last stop before addiction. This is the last stop before the meth can take control of your life. This is the place where the blood of Jesus was applied. It said that he was bruised for your iniquities, for your mindset, for the things that your parents taught you was the only way. He, this is the last stop because if you'll come into this building, if you'll listen to the message of this preacher, if you'll listen to the message of these people, this is your chance before addiction. But after this, there is nothing else. There is no more hope. It is where we can say, Hey, you don't have to die of an overdose and your kids never know who you are. You don't have to die and ruin the perception of your entire family. You don't have to turn off everyone to who you are. You don't have to give in to the meth. You don't have to give in to the coke. You don't have to give in to anything else. You don't have to give in to the pornography and destroy your marriage. This God can break addiction. He can break anything that comes against you. And this is the only hope. There is hope. You don't have to die lost in this world. This is your last stop. Amen. This is the last stop. I, I said it, but it's it's your last stop before divorce. You don't have to end it. You don't have to have children who have to worry. We're, we're, what, what am I going to hear at mom's house? What am I going to hear at dad's house? Because apparently those are two different things. Or even worse, you don't have to worry about your kids not knowing who you are and having to rely on their grandparents. It's not got to be that way for your kids. It's not got to be that way for your future. It's your marriage doesn't have to end in divorce. You don't have to have kids torn between two different mindsets and, two di and four different parents or six or eight. You don't have to have that be your story. You don't have to have your story in the same way that your parents did, or your grandparents did, and your great-grandparents did. It's not got to be that way. You know, the tendency is, you know when most divorces happen is after the kids are out of the house. 
and they have to figure out who each other are again. But you know what? We serve a God here who is giving you the template that if you'll follow this word, he's given the layout for how marriage is supposed to work, how family is supposed to work, how parents are supposed to raise their kids, how kids are supposed to get along with their parents. You know, it's actually possible to have a family that gets along. And get along doesn't mean never argue. Get along doesn't mean that sometimes people don't get mad. Get along doesn't mean that. It means we work stuff out. We stick with it. We figure it out. We pray about it. We pray to God about it. We teach our kids the word of God. It says... You know that same verse that we quote all the time, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. It doesn't stay at Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. It says, And these words which I speak unto thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt talk of them diligently. Thou shalt teach them diligently to thy children. And you will talk about them when you walk in the way, when you sit in your house, when you lay down, when you rise up. It says that the word of God is your life. And if you let the word of God be your life, it doesn't have to be to the point where your kids are questioning absolutely everything that's going on with mom and dad. Well, what a mom, where do mom and dad really stand? Because we go to this church in town, sure, but we don't go every Sunday. We don't go every midweek service. And, and sometimes we'll even hear some different opinions because they got something else going on the TV. They got something else coming across the dinner table during conversation. And when we have those conflicting ideas, that is what ends you in family chaos, which can range anywhere from abuse to divorce. To silent treatments. To absolute crazy conflict that never seems to work out. This is the last stop before your family gets destroyed. Your family doesn't have to be destroyed. You don't have to be uh, addicted to pornography. You don't have to be uh, cheating on your wife or your husband. Or you don't have to be looking to anything besides that home for hope. This is the last stop before divorce. This is the last stop before you never get married and just decide to have a family which is absolutely nothing like God designed it. God designed the family for marriage. He didn't design it for, let's just hang out and be roommates that also happen to pretend they're married. This is, this is the last stop before you have to live in the narrative that the, that the world has given you for how family works. It don't have to work that way. And this word contains hope that you don't have to be so confused You know, you don't have to be confused on who you're supposed to love if you're married because God tells you that a husband will love his wife as Christ loved the church. There's no confusion there. Who am I supposed to turn to? What am I supposed to do? There's no confusion there. You don't have to be confused. Uh, You can live a life that makes sense. There's no chaos. He said that he gives you peace that passes understanding. And you know one of the least understood things in the world is relationships. This is the last stop before prison. 
You don't have to live a life of crime. You don't have to turn into where your life will be destroyed, where you never get to see your family again. You come out, you go in one time, and you come out 15 years later, and the world is completely different. I saw a video just the other day of a woman trying to explain to her husband what is going on in the world now because he went in in 1999. And since then, the world looks quite a bit different. She was educating him on what LGBTQ meant. She was educating, and people, I've heard stories about people who have no idea what Facebook is. They have no idea how the world works now. They don't know what's up with. Can you imagine you went in in 1999, you come out and you're trying to figure out what a lockdown means, but besides just locking in a room by yourself? You don't have to live that life. You don't have to go to prison. You don't have to go to jail. You don't have to every other month end up with, in trouble with the law. You don't have to end up in the back of a police car all the time. You don't have to end up with needles in your arms. You don't have to end up trying to figure out gang relations. You don't have to do that. Yeah, I know. We live in Marion. What are you talking about gangs? This is just small town. Don't you dare try and tell me that there's not as much of a mess here as far as the way that people get along with the police as there are in other places. Because there are. There's a whole lot of people who don't understand that black violence is not the only answer to problems. But there are other answers to problems. We serve a God who said, blessed are the peacemakers. You don't have to be angry. You don't have to be frustrated you don't have to be constantly in that same spot you don't have to end up in trouble with the law all the time and some of you may be thinking oh i don't have that problem i don't have that issue you're supposed to be the one standing between them and that issue Amen. this is the last stop before before perversion okay i talked about porn I've talked about it on two or three of these points so far. But you don't have to be perverted. You can follow the way that God said love is supposed to work. You can follow the way that God said things are supposed to work. Where he said love is patient. Love is kind. Love isn't keeping a record of wrongs. You see, we serve a God who said that a man and a woman are supposed to love each other. He said that you're supposed to take care of your kids. You're not supposed to be. I've heard too many stories about what grandfathers have done to their granddaughters. Too many stories about dads messing with their daughters or even their sons. Too many stories about this. And we wonder why people don't understand how it works with relationships in these modern days is because what are people are what are people obsessed with when it comes to being pretty they don't want to look like they're 40 years old they want to look like they're 20 or if they're 25 they don't want to look 25 they want to look like a teenager and we wonder why people are having issues with this thing called pedophilia now because the standard of beauty is youth. But you, we serve a God who said you are fearfully and wonderfully made. He said that gray hair is to be respected. 
He said, nature itself teaches you that it's a shame for men to have long hair. How does it teach that? Your hairline disappears as a man gets older. It's kind of natural. I'm getting there. I'm getting there, folks. That's how nature teaches you. But deciding not to like the way that God made you is what leads to this thing called perversion. The spirit of perversion that's in this world is horribly messed up. He said that a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. It does not say a man shall cleave his father and mother and cleave unto his husband. It says that it's a shame. It's an abomination for mankind to lay with mankind as with woman. All these things are perverted and messed up. And do you know what perversion actually means? Anything that has been changed from the right way. And that, so guess what? Perversion isn't just sexually perverted. It also means any other type of way that God designed something to be. Amen. Violence is perversion. Anger and arguments and continually not being able to get along is perversion. War is perversion. All this stuff that we have in the world right now is perversion. And you know what? If we even want to go there, this is the last stop before suicide, guys. Because we serve a God who wants to give you life and not just life, but life more abundantly. That's the message that you hear if you come into this place and you listen to these words and you go to these altars. You don't have to live in the way that the world says there is no solution to this problem because there was a solution. You don't have to die. But you don't have to die to fix what's going on in your life because someone else already died to fix what's going on in your life. This is the last stop, because if you keep on going down the path, right on past this place, right on past these people, right on past this book, right on past this message, it leads to a pit that ends with a bullet in your, with a gun in your mouth, with a needle in your arm, with pills laid out on the floor next to you. There are people who've walked right over the line. It's an unforgettable line that Bishop tells a story of someone who decided to ignore the stop sign in his life and they found him dead on a pile of preaching tapes because this was years ago. I don't want it to be that we find you dead with the church's Facebook page open. We find you, we find you dead with, a po- with, a, with, with the Harvest House podcast in your ears. Because you are ignoring the message that this is the stop sign. If you'll turn to this, you don't have to end in suicide. And even before we get to suicide, this is the last stop before depression. Okay, yeah, guess what? People can be depressed and be Christians. I've heard it. I've heard it. It is absolutely true. But you don't have to let that control your life. Because we serve a God who, who in this place, in this is joy unspeakable and full of glory. He can give you, if you can be spirit filled, do you know what it means to be led of the spirit? It means to be led with love, with joy, with peace, with long suffering, with gentleness, with goodness, with faith. 
If you are living a life of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, if you're living that life, if you're living the life that Jesus has in His Word, guess what? There is no room for depression. There is no room for suicide. There is no room for thinking it won't get any better than this because it does get better than this. You can get past it. And guess what? Even if it doesn't get better while you're alive, it gets way better after you're dead if you're filled with the Holy Ghost and no, you are not going to you don't have to end your life to make it to heaven because if you'll just hold on a little bit longer you see, he said, Paul said this. He said, "I know. Guess what? I understand because if I died, I'd be in the I'd be in the land of glory." I understand that. But for me, to live is Christ. Yeah. Yes, to die is gain, but to live is Christ. I'm living the way Christ lived. Amen. There is hope. Because if you live this, this is the last stop. But if you don't stop here, you go to depression. Amen. You go to suicide. You go to perversion. You go to prison. You'll end up in divorce. You'll end up addicted. But if you can stay here, yes, amen. this is hope. There is only one way to define a life filled with sin. And that's chaos. You see, God is not the author of confusion. Living this way is the last stop before chaos. Because life, the way this world has designed it, makes no sense. Amen. How can it be true? How, how can it be true that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, yet also true? How can it be true that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, but also that there are many ways to God. Here's the way the world teaches. You have your way, I have it my way, and it's your truth and my truth. You have your truth, I have my truth. According to, I, I, according to you, you say that it is murder to abort a child. But I say that it is my body and my choice to take care of this. And both of these things are true because one's your point of view and one is mine. You can live your life your way and I'll live my life my way, my truth, your truth. Guess what happens when you have two people who are absolutely certain that they are right and somehow they both can be right because one person says that if I commit suicide in the service of my God that I will end up in glory. And another person says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Guess what the only inevitable result of that is? Chaos. Chaos. This is the last stop before chaos. There is only one truth, and that is Jesus Christ. He is truth. His word is truth. There is only one way to God, and that is Jesus. Chaos. And do you know where chaos ends? This is the last stop before hell. 
suicide, depression, perversion, prison, divorce, addiction, all those things are simply chaos. And this is the last stop before hell. 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 It's the last stop before hell. That's the ultimate truth of this, that this is the last stop before hell. Fire, brimstone, darkness, gnashing of teeth, weeping, wailing. Absolute separation from anything godly. Absolute separation from any love or joy or peace. There is nothing to look forward to in hell. Heaven is perfect unity with God, and hell is perfect disunity with everything. Nothing about hell is peaceful. Nothing about hell is hopeful. And this is the last stop before hell. Because if you walk past this message, if you walk past the words of this gospel, if you walk past the Bible, if you walk past the preacher, if you walk past the church, the next stop is hell. There is no other hope for this world but the church of Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus, the word of God. There is no other hope out there. This is hope. This is the hope. And if you don't turn to this, if we don't turn to this, we are going to be lost. And by lost, I don't mean just confused. I don't mean just in chaos. I mean that you are heading straight for a certain destination. Yes, lost in the biblical sense does not mean heading any possible direction. It means heading one certain direction, and that is hell. The only problem is you don't know it. You don't know that you're on a straight path to hell. Maybe maybe it's a convoluted path, sure, but the path has only one possible destination because there are only two destinations. It's heaven or hell. There's many different roads to hell and one one road to heaven. There are not many roads to heaven. There's one road to heaven. This is that last pit stop before hell. It's an altar. It's a Bible. It's a preacher. No, it doesn't have to be made of wood at the front of a church building. It can be in a bathroom. It can be in a bus. It can be in a prison cell. It can be in the middle of a field, in the middle of the woods. It can be anywhere. It can be in a tent. It can be in a hut. It can be in a boat. Or it can be on the ISS. I don't know. But you need to find an altar. Because an altar is the only hope that you have to make it. An altar is the last stop before hell. Come on, I'm ready to wrap this up. I'm getting ready to wrap this up. I I just have one more thing to point out to you. And I'll speak to the people who are... are, This last point is for the people who have made that stop. 
You're not trying to go past the church. You're not trying to go past the world of God. But you have other people out there, and you're asking, but what if they're already there? What if they're already depressed? What if they're already considering suicide? What if they're already absolutely perverted, addicted? What if they've already had their marriage and their family destroyed? What if they're already in prison? Jude, put it this way. Some we save by compassion. Others we save with fear, and we must pull them out of the fire. How do you pull them from the very fire that they've already got themselves plummeting into? Nona Freeman lay dying on a lay dying in bed as a young woman. with her mother right there absolutely praying that her daughter would not die because uh, die lost and she's Nona Freeman said that she saw herself plummeting toward the flames of hell realizing that she had wasted her life and turned away from the calling that God had given her and she said God I don't want to go to hell I don't want to be lost. God, forgive me. I turn away from where I was. And she saw herself begin to slow down from falling into the pits of hell as she began to turn around, lift up, and saw herself going into the clouds of heaven. And she saw, and she saw herself standing before God in heaven. And God said, It's so good to have you here. You just were supposed to have way more people with you. She said, God, if you'll send me back, I promise I'm bringing people with me. And she woke up on that bed, recovered from her sickness, and became a missionary to Africa with her husband, one of the most powerful apostolic preachers that there was, until she finally died years and years later. What if they're already heading straight for hell, already in a hospital bed lost? Pull them out of the fire. We've got to head straight towards it. We've got to march forward. We've got to intercede in prayer. We've got to reach and reach and preach and preach and pray and pray and teach and teach. Deliver, Hasha. Lay hands on the sick. You've got to do what I'm doing right now. Declare the truth. Buy the truth. Sell it not. Preach, preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. We know not what to pray for as we are, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us in groanings that cannot be uttered. We've got to pray. We've got to preach. We've got to share this with the rest of the world. And if you're under the sound of my voice and you're and you're in confusion, you're in chaos, you are addicted, you are on a path towards absolute destruction of your family. There is hope in Jesus. You must be born again of the water and of the spirit. You need to be baptized in Jesus' name. You need to repent of your sins. 
You need to be filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking with other tongues. Just as the Bible said in Acts chapter 2, that when they they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You don't just repent. You don't just believe. You need to be baptized in Jesus' name. Going down in the water, as a preacher says, in Jesus' name. You've got to repent and sin no more. This is the last stop. There is no other pit stop. There is no other place. There is no other word but the words of this book. I'm just trying to pull somebody out of the fire today. I'm just trying to encourage someone to march with me into into this world and say, I'm pulling you out. This is the last stop. This is the last stop. This altar, you need to come to this altar. You need to turn away from where you've been in the past. There is the hope, and this hope is Jesus. It's worth it. There's nothing in this world that's worth it except the gospel. There's nothing in this world that's worth living. There's nothing in this world that's worth living for more than living for God. It doesn't matter if you're successful in relation. It doesn't matter if you've got the prettiest girlfriend or most good-looking man, but you don't have God. It's worthless. It don't matter if all your kids think you're the coolest parent ever, but you don't live for God and are filled with the Holy Ghost. In the end, it's worthless. It don't matter if you've got the best job, but in the end, you don't live for God. It's worthless. This is the last stop.